Hey Zwifters and welcome to another episode of the Zwiftcast and it's a special episode coming from Eurobike and I'm joined in the flesh live by my uh, one of my usual co-conspirators Shane Miller. G'day mate. G'day Simon, good to meet you in person finally. Indeed, really good to see you in the flesh and a very special guest for this special edition. I'm joined by DC Rainmaker, the legendary Rainmaker, a, a veritable god in sports tech. Hi Ray. That's quite the intro. <laughs> uh, good, good to have you guys here in, uh, in Eurobike and see you guys in person. So I'm going to start with Ray. Ray, this is a podcast for Zwifters, so we're very interested in the indoor riding scene. It strikes me that the indoor riding scene is one of the most vibrant and innovative areas of the entire bike industry. Do you think that's true? I think so. I think we've seen, especially over the last, I'd say, 18 months or so, maybe two years, um, really just an explosion of, of product options, sort of similar to what we saw with power meters over the last two years as well. But I think this year was just a huge um, boom for affordable trainers that do cool sports technology stuff as opposed to being uh, just kind of more of the same. Uh, we got things like the Flux and others that are really pushing not just the technological boundaries, but also the price boundaries, which I think is, is just as important as technology. This is the best time to buy a trainer, not this week or next week or even um, this, this month, um, but I think late October is going to be the best time we've ever seen in the history of trainers to buy a trainer. Um, you have the most options out there. The prices are what they're going to be for the year, um, but I think going to next year a bike to see companies react to what tax has done in the past two months between the road feel and the flux will be really cool. I think we're going to, and I don't know what's coming on the road, but I can just look at that and go, tax basically like threw the whatever at the wall and said game on folks and uh, this past summer between the different announcements and I think you're going to see people react to that in interesting ways. The competition is not only now on functionality but massively on price. There's a kind of smart trainer war out there isn't there? The question always comes up you know which smart trainer should I buy and the next I guess the question I ask people is well, what's your budget? That's the first question and everybody wants the the top end functionality at a mid-range price. So what we're seeing here this week has been some trainers with that kind of functionality, but we hope we haven't ridden them yet. It looks to me, and we'll get into some specific trainer stuff later on in the podcast, but it looks to me like the kind of biggest launch at Eurobike is the flux from tax. Ray, in brief, would you agree with that? Uh, absolutely. I think from a trainer standpoint, that is definitely the biggest, uh, biggest splash in the water. Um, I think, you know, they've, they've nailed that uh, price point that, you know, you're talking about in terms of that features to price to, to quietness. Um, it's really impressive. And just as impressive is the tax booth, which is enormous, a glossy double-decker affair. If the size of your booth at Eurobike is an index of how well the company's doing and how confident it's feeling, then tax looks to be fine fettle. Uh, well, I'm now in the um, tax booth, which is uh, a lovely space, very large. Uh, lots of friendly people here, lots of very nice hospitality. And I'm with a senior tax guy, and I'm going to ask him to introduce himself. So, you are? My name is Hilko Schravenhoff, also a Swift rider, of course. Yeah, welcome to the uh, Eurobike tax booth. Now, I was lucky enough to spend some time with DC Rainmaker, Rainmaker, this morning, a very influential figure. Uh, he is incredibly impressed with the flux, the tax flux. Uh, he thinks it could be a kicker killer and, you know, everybody's been looking for the product that's going to really, really compete hard against the kicker. It's extremely attractively priced. If it's anywhere near as good as the Neo in terms of accuracy, it's going to be a really, really impressive product. But Ray was worried that you're just not going to be able to deliver 
in sufficient quantities. Is that a worry that you share? Uh, can you get this trainer out in thousands of units in September and October? Well, in, in this one, I have to be a little bit. We, we see the enthusiasm on uh, on this product for the customer, and yes, uh, we do believe it's uh, as you as you uh, uh, announced it. It's a kicker killer. The good thing about this product is absolutely quiet, and that's something uh, our com competition doesn't uh, yeah have, or they have it in a different way. But uh, they still make a lot of uh, sound, and the price is really, really, really well positioned. So we see again a lot of demands. Um, we always. The announcement that we have said is that we can deliver from October, uh, and yes, we will uh, deliver from October. But it's always the demand uh, that uh, that is happening, and you're talking about thousands. But uh, yeah, looking to the show and the feedback, I think it will be more than uh, thousands. It will be around the ten thousand of the demands that we have. So the demand will be enormous. So yeah, C can you meet that demand? I mean, it can, well, can can you meet that demand in those numbers? In in ten thousand, uh, I have to be honest. You know, also with the production of the Neo, that's still uh, a great success. Uh, it will be very difficult to uh, supply everybody who wants to have a flux. That's the honest question I have. Now, I mean, your your manufacturing base is in Holland, which is is fantastic in many ways. People sometimes are suspicious of companies who ship out all their manufacturing to China, but. Do you think manufacturing in the Far East may be able to help you meet the kind of demand that you're seeing? Uh, no, that answer is a no. Um, we are very keen on our quality and the way we uh, yeah, produce our products. Uh, so that's uh, that's no. It's like in the training market. Um, it's always uh, yeah. You have a time frame in your the winter and yeah the winter in Europe, America. Um, yeah, it's different than in Australia and uh, and, uh, and countries like South Africa. Uh, so we have a time frame uh, to deliver in uh, in October, and yeah, uh, uh, we we are really keen that our product is good and stable. So uh, yeah, that's our first priority. Uh, and then sometimes uh, yeah, you have one month uh, delay, and that's uh, yeah, that's that could be costly because uh, yeah, the, the the winter is very short. Um, the indoor riding world—I don't know how long you've worked at Tax, but the indoor riding world has never been more exciting, has it? One hundred percent. I agree one hundred percent on that. Um, yeah, if you look, if you walk here on the show, you see that there is so much excitement now on in, indoor training. If you talk to consumers, uh, they're just excited about hearing other stuff, and I think Swift helps also on that because everybody hears on the social uh, social media uh, channels about Swift. Uh, uh, you just talked about uh, DC, but uh, also uh, Shane Miller, you know, uh, well known, uh, you know. Those those people make uh, indoor training uh, excitement, so they're very important for us uh, yeah, to get uh, to get people excited about indoor training. And not only in winter, but we also see now that uh, people are are starting to train in summertime. Even uh, yeah, it's like uh, 20, 25 degrees uh, in their in their cellar. But hey, that, that that's a great thing and great development for uh, for everybody. Thank you very much for your time and for being so honest. It's been great to meet the tax guys face to face. Hey, I agree. And uh, enjoy swifting. This is where companies come to make a splash. There's lots of press here and they know if they say something here, it's going to get lots of attention. And that's why we see so many trainers announced either just before or at Eurobike. But one thing I wanted to explore with the guys was the what seems to be an increasing gap between trainer announcement and trainer availability. And I think, Ray, 
Perhaps the most glaring example of this right at the moment is um, the Hammer, which was announced, I think, way back in May with a huge splash at the UCI headquarters. Uh, the company, uh, again, are going to be here at Eurobike talking it up. But we're not going to expect to see this trainer anywhere near before the end of October, maybe even later. Are, are the gaps between announcements and availability now just getting too long? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, people went into this year kind of trying to follow the model that Wahoo did last year with the kicker snap being announced in June and available in the the August, you know, September time frame. Um, but I think they kind of fumbled on that plan for this year. That was sort of the idea is that companies would announce all this stuff in the May, June time frame. And that by the time we got to where we are now at Eurobike, they'd be like, we're shipping, we're ready to go. And, you know, that way, and there's a lot of like reasons for that beyond just having trainers available in people's hands for the trainer season. But also like a marketing side of that where you know this podcast being a, a perfect example that we're we're talking about trainers and people go okay i'm ready to purchase by the end of this and they go online and they can pick anything because it's all in stock whereas now that's not at all the case and i think like the hammer as you mentioned you know they announced that at a big event back in uh, late april early may um and here we sit in August, honestly, no closer to uh, to shipping than we were then. Um, and I think there's a couple reasons in their particular case. One is that they sort of decided to devote efforts and resources to the Magnus trainer, which is their mid-range trainer they just announced last week. Um, and I can see that from a business side, why they want to do that. That sort of makes sense. Um, and I think they've had some, I don't want to call them setbacks, but changes in architectural direction within the internals of the hammer that have sort of set them back a little bit on timelines. Um, but I think tax, we talked with the flux is really that same challenge there as well where they're not going to be shipping till realistically uh, mid late october if absolutely nothing goes wrong in their production and that's just for continental europe it's another four weeks until the shipping containers arrive the very first one that is arrives in the u.s um, but that shipping container only holds about 500 flux units which isn't that much in the grand scheme of things and who knows how long until they get all the way down to australia but you guys i guess got till next next year any next season anyways you're you're kind of like in the best possible situation for trainers you by time I'm like everything's all settled over the course of the, the northern hemisphere winter you're ready to roll <laughs> yeah but it's it, it remains frustrating shane i think reading about new trainers getting excited about new trainers and then you go on to the you know looking for availability looking to click to buy and, and the damn things are not there i mean what are the companies up to is it deliberate or is it just stuff goes wrong Look, a smart trainer is a large purchase. Um, in Australia, it's up to $2,600 once you factor in the entire purchase. That's a big, so I'm thinking what they want to do is build the hype um, and get people locked into purchasing their item early because there's so much coming out now. There's a lot of action in this space. And I guess even if the manufacturing will take a, a few more months and they might know this, they're still, they need to announce it. They need to get the, the person to commit to the buying their trainer but it's just the delivery. Now these things are hard. So you think it's a bit of a psychological game that they're playing? It's marketing. You, if you don't come to market with something and you're quiet, you won't be known. There'll be so much hype around the other trainer. Now we've seen this as a couple of, I won't mention them, but there's a couple of manufacturers here with smart trainers. They're baitering them, they're showing them here, but we haven't heard of them. So even if they should have been announcing like everyone else, like everyone's excited for the Flux, everyone's excited for the Hammer, even if we can't get a hold of those, some people have already purchased that in their mind. They've already committed to that. It's just waiting to hit. And these are, I mean, there's delay. There's reasons for delays. These things are hard to build. And I'll, I'll reference back to when SRM, when the patent there expired on SRM, it took a long time for people to solve the same problem and come to market with a product that people could buy at a cheaper price point. So we're seeing that in the trainer stuff as well. Um, they're trying to replicate what uh, Wahoo and Tax have done. Um, they're struggling. 
and there's delays. I think if you look at um, sort of that delay, it's an interesting effect for people like Wahoo, right? So Wahoo announced the Kicker 2 or the new Kicker uh, this past week, and it's available immediately. Like, it's already in stock. Like, it was a timed, it was the Apple-esque sort of timed announcement of, okay, it's announced, and by the way, it's already available to ship now. Um, and now, in their case, you know, it's, they weren't making a massive jump. They weren't making a, a truly brand new end-to-end trainer. They were taking what they had and redefining it, and they had more time to do that. Um, but it's selling units like for people that want a trainer now that's available now and yeah you know if you ask me the same question in three months then i would probably say that may not be the best answer in terms of your money um if if again the flux can can do its thing but um for today yeah it's that's probably one of the best bangs for your buck that you can actually put your hands on and take home uh, and it must be said that Wahoo were a bit of an honourable exception in this um, uh, large gap between announcements and availability. Um, and in, indeed, the updated kicker is available immediately uh, and apparently is a great deal quieter or perhaps not quieter, should we say, less irritating than the kicker one because the high, whiny, droney noise apparently is gone. So I headed over to the Wahoo stand to ask them how they did it. So I've now made my way to the uh, Wahoo booth and I'm sitting with uh, a very important person. Uh, I'm going to ask him to introduce himself. Uh, My name's Chip Hawkins. I'm the founder of Wahoo Fitness. Uh, so you don't get much better than that, listeners. This is straight from the horse's mouth. Chip, let's start with the new kicker, which I've seen variously called Kicker 2 and Kicker 2016, but it's definitely a new kicker. And I guess the big news about it is it's not as noisy as the old kicker. Yeah, that's correct. We spent a lot of time fine-tuning the, um, the system to get the noise out of it. Um, if, for those that are used to, that have owned and used an old kicker, uh, you know, it's not terribly noisy, but they're, the, the, the worst part was you had a, a bit of a whine as you got to a higher speed, and we've eliminated that completely, and we've brought the general noise down as well. But, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely, um, you know, I, I believe noise has become more of an issue than it really is. Um, you know, if you were at high speeds with the older kicker, it could get a bit annoying, I'll admit. But um, at normal speeds, anything less than you know, 20 miles an hour, I, I, I watch, I use Zwift, I watch TV sometimes, I use a MacBook, and I'm at about a third volume. So it's, it's really not, uh, it wasn't that bad, it's a whole lot better. It's, it's actually uh, pretty quiet now. It is, and I think anybody who's seen the excellent comparison video done by um, DC Rainmaker will will agree that the kind of problem, if it ever was a problem, but it probably was a problem to some people, has been solved. Um, Zwifters tend to be a kind of geeky bunch, or at least quite a lot of them are, so would you just tell us, Chip, how you solved the problem, giving us as much detail as you feel able to? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, believe it or not, I think we were reaching uh, sonic velocity in the pinion gear on our belt. So we have a Gates carbon drive belt, and uh, to, in order to get the eight to one gear ratio and get the flywheel up and the inertia up, um, we have to use a really small pinion. And so the the velocity that that belt is going into those pinion gears is just really high. So. You know, we worked a lot of magic. We worked with the Gates guys, and we came up with a tooth profile that allows that air to escape without, without you know, coming into that, creating that whine. Uh, and then we added a lot of internal baffling. to, And so the whine is gone just by a tooth profile change. Well, just, it actually took a lot of work. Um, and, then, uh, and then adding the internal baffling is what brought the general noise level down. Uh, we adore that level of detail, I have to tell you. That is just fantastic to hear. Um, 
Wahoo and the kicker in particular occupy a really interesting place in what's happened in indoor training over the last couple of years and they were you know probably certainly an early mover if not first mover in this entirely new product category that's been invented but and we'll talk a little bit about the indoor scene in a few moments but you're no longer kind of king of the hill you've got now lots of competitors and they're snapping at your heels um how does that feel oh you know it's um it's not it's not something we're not used to um you know as a small company a startup really we've um we've done a lot of innovative products and what you find is you get a couple of years generally of being the you know the one guy and then you get a lot of follow-ons and um and and in a lot of cases you wake up companies that had not innovated and uh, i think in the case of the indoor cycling arena we've woke them up in a really big way we've got tons of companies that have been around and have a lot of resources and they're now pouring them into their uh their trainers and um and they recognize that um you know in a lot of ways i think we created a market that there really wasn't uh, a smart you know uh, i say we created a market the computer trainer's been around i think since the 80s but they just didn't capitalize on what i saw as the opportunity and uh but yeah so it's yeah, we, we, we appreciate competition. We'll continue to innovate. We, um, you know, we still, I still believe we have the best trainer out there. And, and the, the, the Wahoo Kicker and Zwift confluence has been industry defining or, 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 or sector defining, I think. I mean, the, the, you know, the, the, the two were very close uh, bedmates, bedfellows, if you like, and, and they both helped each other. But, but now the category has has grown way beyond that. Um, one of the ways you've managed to distinguish yourself is by seeking, is by getting the endorsement of, of Team Sky. How important is pro team endorsement to a company like Wahoo? Oh, it's it's huge. You know, it really, um, it, it allows us, well, it, it put us on the scene in a lot of ways. And um, and it's a great story. You know, that was, um, it's been, it's been several years now, but some of the, the first prototypes of the kicker went to Training Peaks in Boulder. Uh, and and it just happened that about the week they got there, uh, a few of the team Sky Riders, uh, the bigger team Sky Riders, just jumped on them, and uh, and luckily for us, fell in love. And so it was. It's been a great partnership ever since. They've driven a lot of the design. A, a very valuable relationship with lots of mutual ven- benefits. And you maybe won't answer this question. Does it cost you a lot of money? You know, I I, I, I won't comment on how much it costs. I will say it's changed over the years. Uh, it's, um, you know, at first it was really about the fact that, the, um, you know, the riders came to us, the riders wanted it, um, and, and the coaches wanted it. And um, and Team Sky has grown as a business, and we've grown as a business, so we've, we've maintained the relationship, and it's still a, it's still a great relationship. Um, you, you came into this sector with a reputation for innovation. The, the kicker was an incredibly innovative product, which, as you rightly say, has kind of woken up some of the sleeping giants of the industry. Now, let's take, for an example, a company based in Holland. They really seem to have massively raised their game over the last couple of years, and they're releasing really innovative products. Uh, and have kind of even have moved the top of the market even higher is Wahoo going to respond I think the reason I asked that question is is some commentators were slightly surprised that the new kicker wasn't more new if you know what I mean 
Yeah, I still feel like we have the best trainer out there. I mean, Tax has done a great job. That, that company in Holland has done a great job of of highlighting the fact that they've created false inertia. You know, they are able to take a very lightweight flywheel and make it feel like inertia. I really, you know, we I would love to do a Pepsi challenge. Put on some you know, some blinders and ride on that and ride on ours and I think we'd come away every time the winner. And so we've got to counter that message. I could we have done that? Absolutely. Do I think that it's better? Absolutely not. So, you know, uh, you know, I, I we will continue to innovate. It won't be by taking the inertia out of our system, it'll be by doing some other really cool things. Um, Chip, the, this space is immensely exciting, is it not? It is, it is. I absolutely love to see, I mean, I remember sitting in my basement on a CompuTrainer six or seven years ago thinking this is really bad and I, I've got to do something about it. And it's, it's fantastic to see where it's come. It's fantastic to see the likes of Zwift created from a category that didn't exist. And uh, yeah, it's, it's really cool to feel like you've had, you know, had a part in creating something so big. Well, it, it, it's interesting to see um, what effect Zwift has had on the entire market and particular trainer manufacturers. And I want to ask both the guys for a, a kind of quick opinion on that. <laughs> Judging by the time they spent at Eurobike this year, what has been the Zwift effect on trainer manufacturers? Has it given a massive shot in the arm to what was previously a fairly moribund market? I think it has. I think it's... um. So, like, if you, look, you turn back the clock to Trainer Road, for example, which, you know, is uh, more about um, training to power zones and power and intensity levels, um, that had a very uh, decisive effect on people using power, um, even if they didn't have a power meter. So, the idea to use a speed and cadence sensor and getting all that data from a trainer uh, to predict power using power curves that people hadn't really done before in any sort of mass market way. Um, and that had people thinking about trainers, but not necessarily buying a smart trainer that could control their power, um, whereas this now has people saying, okay, I want a trainer that is with control and I can feel those hills. Um, and that's become this, you know, everything about Zwift, when you talk about from a marketing standpoint and all that stuff, um, they're focusing on smart trainers. You know, yes, they can support power curves and stuff, but to be able to say you want a smart trainer for Zwift because that's what makes Zwift Zwift. Shane, the thing is, if something's successful, which I think Zwift has been, the, the history of successful thing things is that they get copied. Now, have you picked up any rumours stalking the halls of Eurobike over the past few days of perhaps competitors to Zwift emerging? A rising tide will lift all ships um, and it will keep everyone honest. So if someone actually excels in one area that Zwift isn't, I'm sure everyone will look sideways and be able to um, just yeah, increase what they're up to. Um, but it's been very, very interesting. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Ray, have you picked up any rumors of, of Zwift competitors? I have, um, and I don't mind saying their name, but I just don't know where I put the business card. Um, so otherwise I would actually <laughs> say their name. Uh, they, I literally stumbled into people uh, that have given me a little business card to try out a, a demo of something um, that's kind of aiming for to compete with Zwift a bit. Um, and that is the one right there. Uh, so uh, a company called roadgrandtours.com. Um, so they've got stuff going on there. Uh, and I think they said it was public so we'll just go with it um i'm bad any pr is good pr right so um they're aiming to compete with it but more in a performance standpoint um i think they're trying to aim like a little higher end crowd almost uh 
It'll be interesting to see their, their demos looked impressive from what I saw. Um, uh, somewhat basic compared to the complexity of Zwift, which is, I think that's probably the challenging point. And I think, you know, if you aren't maybe in the industry and don't understand how much money is behind Zwift, that's really important to understand. Zwift is not a garage band operation. Like, you have to, the rest of the trainer world is a garage band operation. Zwift has an immense amount of Silicon Valley money behind it and the Silicon Valley mindset behind it, which is perhaps even more important than money. Um, it's that mindset of being a software company first and then focusing on the trainer side. It just so happens that all those guys are really big cyclists and have huge cycling connections, which is why they're successful, but they're operating like a Silicon Valley startup um, from a software development standpoint, from a money standpoint and that puts everyone else in the trainer world at a bit of a disadvantage from executing right because you don't have this kind of we're going to throw a ton of vc money at it and if it works great if it doesn't meh, what's the next great thing right and so i think it's going to be incredibly difficult for people to to compete with that that's really interesting do, do you think swift is sufficiently well funded and well developed and has all the skills in place effectively to crush opposition shane Look, I've got to say, I think this time last year, Zwift would have come along and would have had to have been meeting with people and introduce what the platform is and sort of try and get in people's ears. Whereas we've seen this time, you walk around these stands, I think Zwift themselves, they don't have a, a stand, but there's about seven or eight official demos of Zwift plus other manufacturers using it to showcase their product. It's They've changed, um, just to sort of go back a little bit on the, before the question, is... Um, Indoor riding now is a, um, a desirable experience that people are seeking. Now, for trainer road or something for training, it's it's a tool they're looking for to be fit, but Swift have really social, you know, made it all social. People were looking for a social experience inside, and they're the only ones doing it. That's why the other software at the moment is the other um, riding experiences from TAX and uh, virtual training from Cyclops. It's good, it does the same task effectively, but I think the social side and Zwift have just, as I said, absorbed all that community and it's just built this real good cult following, I guess. Um, it'd be really hard to move those people away. So we see road grand tours come along, that'd be niche. And I don't think people will move off um, Zwift very quickly. They might dabble in it um, and might use it for a specific rides, but I think people will still gravitate back to what brought them along to the platform and to that experience. I think my take on that is, you know, um, Strava was first, Strava got a community and let's look at how successful Garmin have been in trying to move Strava users over to Garmin Connect. It kind of hasn't happened. Yeah, I think another good example, though, or something to keep in mind is really the, the trainer road folks, right? They, If you look at their numbers compared to Zwift, they're actually the same. Like, if you, if you look at actual subscriber accounts, and I don't know if I'm at liberty to say what they are, but knowing... No, well, but please do. I mean, I always ask these questions <laughs> of the companies, and they never tell us, so why shouldn't we speculate? And we like a bit of speculation on the podcast, so go ahead, Ray. So I know uh, I know what their numbers are. I'll say that if you can find public numbers for one of them, that they're virtually identical. Between the two companies, um, their numbers of actually paid subscribers, which is what matters, at the end of the day um, are virtually identical. Uh, what, what are the subscriber numbers, Ray? As far as, you know, um, I mean, you know, these these software companies never, ever, ever tell you, but there are ways of working working it out. I've seen estimates ranging from 100,000 down to 30,000. Where, where, where would you put it? It's on, it's on the low It's on the low end of what you said there. Um, so it's, it's towards the, the bottom half of your, your range. Uh, it's not 100,000. That's what 
that's what Zwift wanted, right? That's what Zwift uh, talked to their investors about is being 100,000. I think that's totally achievable for Zwift, to be honest. I don't think that's something that um, I would have said two years ago it's not achievable, but I think the trainer market has made it achievable. Um, I think if, if trainer prices for electronic control trainers as they were two years ago, still at 1200 or 1600 bucks, um, then no, it would not have been achievable. But now that you can get a FEC trainer from tax for you know 500 US dollars, 300 euros, probably still like nine grand in Australia, um, then, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but that that's made it achievable versus if it hadn't been, then no, 100,000 subscribers would not be achievable. There's lots more Eurobike goodiness still to come, so stay tuned, Swifters. Now, attentive listeners might have heard the Wahoo CEO hint at something big and new, and you might have thought I let that pass, but I didn't. I tried to get more, and I also pushed tax a bit on the same lines. But first, here's Chip from Wahoo again. What are you working on, Chip? What is, you know, the, the, the product that must be on the drawing board that's two years out? It, you know, is there one? There is one. It's not two years out. It's, it's probably sooner than that, and I can't tell you any more than that. But uh, it'll be another category changer, which I haven't seen. I've seen a lot of follow-ons. Uh, we've got something. We've got something up our sleeve. And the new new thing is that in the indoor riding sphere, it is. It is. I can tell by Chip's face he's he's really not going to tell me any more about that. <laughs> but uh, uh, that does. That, I would give everybody a year to work on it. I can't tell you. But that we'll does gen- genuinely sound interesting. Just finally on that, when roughly might the secret be revealed? You know, it's, it's, we're trying for next year. It's, it's, it's still early enough in the process. I couldn't, I couldn't give you a definitive on that. But hopefully we'll be here next year uh, with something exciting. How many NEOs have you sold? Political question. I cannot answer. <laughs> a lot. I, I, a lot. I, think, I think that uh, we introduced the NEO uh, last year. And uh, yeah, I can only say that the demand was so impressive and high. So uh, yeah, it was for us a great success. And uh, yeah, it's still a great success. You know, the, the sales didn't stop uh, or didn't stop at the, when the summer uh, was starting. It just continued to sell. And it is a great, uh, great product, especially because uh, yeah, we introduced new functions in it. I think a lot of Swift riders already uh, experienced the road feel uh, sensation. And uh, yeah, that's so being well received here at, uh, at the Eurobike show because I haven't seen so many happy faces when they feel the cobblestones uh, right through their, uh, their legs with the Neo. It, it, is, it, it is a good effect and, and it's one of ex- I've experienced personally. Uh, and it kind of came out of nowhere from tax. Have you got any other surprises and tricks up your sleeve of, of this nature? We, we do have something uh, coming for the next, uh, yeah, next couple uh, of months. But yeah, no, again, uh, I cannot say too much about that. Uh, give us a clue, Hilko. It's all about feeling and sensation. <laughs> For now, I, w- I want to go into an area which I'm sure is, has been uh, hotly debated by everybody attending Eurobike in this space, and that is the consistency versus accuracy arguments, particularly with regard, obviously, to power meters, but indeed to smart trainers. 
And historically, people have said, I don't care if it's not accurate as long as it's consistent. I don't think that holds water anymore because of the competitive atmosphere of, of Zwift. Ray, what's your sense of how that argument, uh, consistency versus accuracy, is, is playing out with the manufacturers and, and indeed consumers? Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I don't think it holds water at all. Um, I think we're seeing a bit of a, uh, a bit of clarity in the trainer accuracy world. Um, it's really interesting talking to you know, Tax and Wahoo and others, and uh, they're kind of splitting accuracy almost into two pieces. They won't in a marketing sense, but sort of in a behind-the-scenes sense, they're saying, what is the accuracy for that first 10 to 15 minutes while it's warming up? And then what is the accuracy after that? Um, so, you know, I think Tax would, would love to be able to say that their accuracy of flux, for example, is plus or minus one, one and a half percent, um, but they can't because of that first 10 minutes. Um, and so I kind of step back and go, well, what does that really mean? And so if I were to, let's just say that tax is able to get the flux. So flux of stated accuracy is plus or minus 5%, um, which is the same as a kicker snap. It's the same as a couple of the trainers in that kind of five to $700 price range. Um, if they were to get to the point where tax could say, hey, the first 10 minutes is plus or minus three to 5%. Um, but once you get to 10 minute marker, we've got you down to a percent, percent and a half. To me, that's that's a game winner, game winner. Because realistically, the copy trainer, which people have hailed as the, you know the best trainer for decades, that is plus or minus God knows what up until ten or fifteen minutes. Like it's not just two percent or four percent or five percent. I mean, you can talk plus or minus fifteen or twenty percent on the copy trainer in that first ten or fifteen minutes. So, I think people have to kind of level set a little bit where we don't want to get too far down this rabbit hole of like circling the drain of this one percent dream and forget kind of where we've came from or we've come from and where we've the technology is today. And what's the significance of this 10 or 15 minutes, Shane? Is that whilst the trainer is effectively warming up and settling down? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the ones with strain gauges in them, absolutely, they'll change. Um, they'll get a settling period um, because you go from, could be, well, effectively, I had mine at negative eight the other day up in Falls Creek. Um, so, but in a normal home environment, yeah, you'll get um, temperature variations of probably 30, maybe 40 degrees on the internals, and that does change things in where they measure. One thing we haven't mentioned yet is the Elite Drivo. Uh, they're, they're really selling hard on the accuracy of that model. It'd be very, very interesting to stack all these te together. And again, we're here to see what's being announced. And I guess in a few weeks' time, maybe in a month or so, we'll be able to get a hold of these ourselves, both Ray and myself and the other, other people in the industry, and put these up against our known power meters and really see what their accuracies are. Because what we're getting here is that the marketing and soon we'll see the actual reality of that. And I think we'll be able to put it, oh, I believe what they're saying to us, because there's a lot riding on this. Um, if your power meter or if you're the power meter measuring in your device isn't accurate, there's gonna be a lot of rumbles about that in the media. And social media, as we've seen these days, is very, very powerful. Uh, and do you think that is now making accuracy absolutely top of mind for trainer manufacturers? And, and do you think the Zwift effect of people racing and competing has forced that to the top of the trainer manufacturer's agenda? Oh, look, we just have to look at Z-Power, which is the estimated power and the wild inaccuracies of that. With some trainers, it can be good, but we do see variance and that does cause a lot of problems with the racing when there's no parity there of competition. The driver is really interesting. They've done really impressive stuff with accuracy. You know, it's not, for, for my visual taste, it's not like the sexiest looking trainer. Um, and I know that's like a personal thing. They, they would argue it's, they would argue it's an Italian design trainer. And it's, it's, it's ugly. Yeah. <laughs> I, personally, for me, it's not my taste. I can see how it could appeal to folks. Um, but that said, it's a really well technically designed trainer and the accuracy is 
mind-bogglingly good like it's i would say at this point it's equal to the neo in terms of being super accurate um very very strong uh that's probably the standout there and they've actually done tests uh, third-party tests essentially to a, a german company that did a bunch of third-party testing on accuracy there and they have their little certificate I actually have a copy of it that says it's plus or minus one percent um and the testing i've done with four power meters on at the same time says it's the exact same thing no drift just simply it nails it and holds it Really interesting. And in fact, Elite have enjoyed something of a difficult reputation with accuracy over some of their older trainers. And this new range, uh, particularly at the very top with its massive emphasis on, 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 on very, very high accuracy, it looks to be a change of direction from the company. So I headed over to their booth to see whether any of what I've just said is true. So I'm now with Elite, who are in a very prominent position at Eurobike, just behind the enormous Shimano booth. Uh, and they've got a nice booth here, and very prominent in that booth is their new smart trainer, the Drivo. Or is it Drivo, Peter? Good question. Uh, Americans will say Drivo. Being Italian, I pronounces E, so it's Drivel. <laughs> okay, so it can be either way. And that was Peter Largo, or maybe Lego, who is the uh, sales manager for Elite. Um, the big sell on the Drivo or Drivo is that it is super, super, super accurate, and you're claiming 1%. Can, how, how have you tested that, and how are you backing up that claim? So not only us claiming the plus minus one percent but also a third party lab in germany called ptb it's uh, the golden benchmark for anything that uh, needs to be measured and uh, we have the certificate that you can see here in the office that declares a plus minus one percent uh, accuracy with uh, not only the drivo drivo but also with our smart trainer cura uh, they did uh, all their testing with, with machines that have a, an accuracy of 0.0005 newton meters. Uh, tough to explain what that means, but it essentially means it's perfect. It's fair to say that some of the legacy, some of the older elite trainers have had something of a checkered reputation among Swifters for their accuracy. And you're right, uh, previous models we had in the past were not as accurate. Actually, they were machines that were calculating uh, the power output. So they were consistent in time, but didn't have any uh, device to measure the power. Now we're super excited with the Drivo and Kura because we now have the instrument that has that, this accuracy. So for us, it's super important that a rider, not only when he's outdoors, also indoors, has a faithful reading of what he's, uh, his power output is in order to even compare all the rides, both outdoors and indoors. Now, I've just had a little ride on it, and obviously with such high levels of ambient noise and background noise here, it's very difficult to assess just how noisy or quiet it is, but my immediate impression was it was very, very quiet. Um, what kind of tests have you done on quietness, and what kind of claims are you making for how quiet the, the Drivo is? So the Drivo is ultra-quiet, just like the previous model, the real Turbo Moen, so that's always been a, a, a strong point of our trainers, direct drive trainers especially, where basically the noise is the chain itself and when you change gears. Um, we've done lab tests, but even third party like uh, DC and Raybaker has done tests and you'll, you'll find across the, the net that uh, our trainers are absolutely quiet. 
what's the cost of the of the Trivo and, and, and what level of discounting might we see from retailers? I mean, it's it's going to be a high-end machine. Are you confident of selling a lot? I know tax are selling a lot of Neos. A few years ago, you would have been thought crazy if people were paying close to a thousand euro for an indoor trainer, but we seem to live in that world now. Are you confident there's a big market there? Absolutely. The, the, the trend in sales in the past 24 months, thanks also to Zwift, has, has changed dramatically. Uh, it was uh, 90% mechanical trainers, 10% smart interactive trainers. I'm not going to say that number's turned around, but pretty close. We're now looking at two-thirds of the market that are interactive trainers, smart trainers. The Driva will be $12.99 retail uh, in Europe, uh, equal in, in US dollars in the US. So in line with the other brands that are out there, but less than the than the Neo. And we're we're expecting huge sales. We've got uh, the, the the production line that's been going since July. So we've already shipped out uh, the first product. Uh, the few that we've shipped out have already been sold, so it's just a question now of uh, feeding the pipeline. Is Elite confident that you can meet demand for these top-end trainers? In other words, if I want to buy one, can I buy one now? Yes, uh, we're confident, but we've been building trainers all year long. So historically, we would stop uh, towards the end of the Northern Hemisphere winter. This year, we've gone full blast with production with all the other models in order to save uh, time and space for the production of the Dreve on the Kura because we're confident that this is a winner. Uh, it's a hyper-aggressive market out there with a lot of competition and customers, if you're not there, they'll choose something else. So we must be there, ready. Hence the reason we started shipping earlier. We announced the news earlier and uh, now production is fully dedicated to the Drevo and the Kura. Now, uh, you've you've been very candid yourself how much the trainer market has changed in the last 18 months uh, and it strikes me and a lot of people who Zwift that there's one big reason for that and it starts with a Z or a Z and that's Zwift. W would you agree with that? Yes, I agree with that. Uh, since the beginning when we met Zwift the first time more than two years ago, uh, we immediately saw the, the potential this, this, uh, this uh, new software had. Hence the reason we jumped on the boat <laughs> immediately. And uh, trainer sales have dramatically changed due to the Z, to, due to the Zwift. Equally, it's changed the habits of people using trainers. In such, we have people that never thought of trainers before using trainers, and we have people using trainers when they usually didn't use trainers. Therefore, not just that instrument to use when it's cold, icy outdoors and possible to ride, but equally it's become an instrument to join a ride with my fellow friends around the world uh, on a trainer indoors. So it's brought light to the trainer world and we, we thank Zwift for that. Do you use Zwift? Yes, we all Zwift. We've got, uh, we've got four trainers uh, in our gym within the company. So... We're 45 people in the company. I think probably 30 of them are, are Zwifters and riding on the trainers. That's, that's really interesting. And again, you, you've, you've referred to this. Um, it's very exciting times for trainer companies 
but it's also very, very competitive times. Um, overall, has the transformation of the market benefited you? I think it's definitely benefited the consumer because we've got more choice than ever. Is it, is it harder or easier for, for trainer manufacturers at the moment? It's getting more challenging. So on one side, like I said, we, we thank Zwift for bringing light to the trainer world, increasing the market. I'll also say thank you, Zwift, for pushing us over the obstacles we had in the past. We've developed trainers, for example, the Drivon Kurua, that probably 18 months ago we would have dreamed about. So it's pushing the boundaries. Equally, although it's made the market hyper-competitive, which although is good for the consumers and also good for the manufacturers like us, because if you have the power to maintain your competitiveness, good, otherwise. <laughs> but we're, we're super confident. We have a great team. We've got uh, 16 engineers, uh, all young and motivated. Have you had a good Eurobike? Yes, thank you. It's, it's been very successful. Uh, uh, it's challenging times, but uh, we're in a good place. Peter, thank you very much for your time. It's been really interesting to talk to Elite about their three new trainers. Thanks very much. Uh, now, the inevitable focus of that interview was the Drivo, or Drivo, I wish I'd make up my mind on that. Um, but there were two other trainers announced as part of the Elite's refresh of the range. And I'll be bringing you some more news and hopefully a test um, of the Cora and the Rampa in upcoming episodes of the Zwiftcast. Okay, well, look, let's think about what the impact of Zwift's huge announcement at Eurobike was. Um, and that's the arrival of the Zwift software on the iOS platform. So it's going to be in beta from September. And it, basically, it means that Zwift will work on your iPhone or your iPad. How big is this, Ray? I think it's big for attracting a slightly different market. I think, you know, if you look at the core Zwifter market, they're already on Zwift today. So this is sort of uh, getting a, a different group of people to potentially use the product. Um, it's appealing more to the mass market, I think. Uh, in some ways, desktop computers and, and hooking that up to trainers is still kind of considered almost geekery um, versus that idea of just a tablet to, to quickly connect. Um, so I'm, I'm guessing we're not going to see like a massive explosion of new Zwift people, but I think we'll see kind of people that might have been on the edge. It makes it more appealing when they're trying to demo it at trade shows, at all that kind of stuff, um, more than necessarily catering to the core Zwift audience. My take on it, Shane, is that it's going to make it easier for people who just don't want to mess with computers. It's going to make it easier for people who travel, who might want to hook Zwift up in a hotel gym if they find the right kind of bike, etc., etc. But is it going to be a game changer in, in terms of size of audience and therefore numbers of, of uh, subscriptions to Zwift? I think, as Ray mentioned, there's going to be a broadening of the audience. So um, just the, the, the cost of entry or the, the barriers are really broken down with this. Um, and being Bluetooth on the phone, on the phone as well, it also has an internet connection. So you're getting rid of the dongle. You're getting rid of having to get an internet connection if you're already on the Wi-Fi. So it really opens up the doors a lot easier for a lot of people. So that's what I'm excited about. I do think that the portability aspect is, is going to be a bit of a winner for, for, for Zwift. I think the kind of people who use Zwift do tend to be the kind of people who perhaps travel on business and, you know, would just 
maybe go that little extra mile to, to, to get their their uh, their trainer sessions in while they're away. So it'll be going to be really interesting to see how that turns out. So I'm here now at the Saris stand, which is very busy. Lots of people on trainers. Um, Saris also make the Cyclops brand of trainer, and I'm with I'm with whom? Who are you? My name is Justin Henkel. I'm the uh, category manager for Cyclops and also for PowerTap. Okay, well, let's start by talking about the hammer. Is production behind schedule? Um, yes, as with most awesome things, uh, you run into little uh, bumps in the road where uh, you didn't anticipate something happening or something arrives late or doesn't fit quite right. Um, and we're adapting as quickly as we can. and. Uh, and aim to, to hit the trainer season in North America. And can you outline the nature of the problem? Is it something fundamental or is it just annoying fiddly things? Uh, it's usually just annoying fiddly things. There's fundamentally the, the product is, uh, is great, um, but not all of the time you get things in when you expect to get them in and um, we're not one to cut corners uh, in certain areas. so. Uh, everything needs to be perfect, the testing needs to be done um, to make sure that when they finally leave our doors that it's the right product. And you very wisely not committed yourself to a date. You very carefully said the North American indoor training season. Uh, I mean, can you be just a fraction more specific? I don't think anybody will hold you to it, but do you think we're going to see a significant number of units available pre-Christmas? Um, yes, uh, definitely before Christmas. Um, we are actually aiming uh, to get them out during the first part of fall, um, October, November timeframe. And I mean, the early the early reviews and the early looks at the Hammer were very impressive. People were very, very impressed by what they saw at the launch. So um, why don't you take this opportunity to tell us just how good the Hammer is and what's what's different about it? Um, what well, our goal with this particular product was to maximize. Um, interaction with software um, and the, the things that we targeted as the two big um, areas to focus on were the um, feel of the trainer so the feel of um, uh, the resistance and the uh, highest level of inertia that we could possibly achieve uh, which is still not what you get outdoor on the road, but it's definitely bridging that gap. Um, so we wanted to get the best feeling, most engaging experience for our for our customers. Now, I notice you didn't mention accuracy there. That might be because accuracy is kind of built into the DNA of the company that makes PowerTap. Is that is that right? And how critical for you is the accuracy of the trainer? Um, well, we're not actually using any strain gauges in this product, so it's not actually measuring power, it's calculating the power. But because we have uh, another part of our business that is solely focused on power meters, we have a lot of uh, know-how there, and we use all of the PowerTap products to actually test um, the accuracy on the, on the hammer. So how confident of, of accuracy are you? Uh, really confident. Um, but since it isn't measuring power, if you were to compare the power output on the hammer to an actual power meter, 
um, there would be some differences. Uh, depends which power meter as well. <laughs> and it definitely depends what power meter. Um, we can't measure it with, with our hub-based power meters because obviously you have to take the, the rear wheel off the bike, so there is no hub on the bike anymore. Um, but all of the testing that we've done is is shown the accuracy to be very, very promising. And to be quite honest, we're, we're not going to put something out there that doesn't hold up our reputation. Another area where, I mean, there's lots of areas where there's kind of intense competition between manufacturers now, but it strikes me that another area where there is competition is is, is loudness or, or quietness. How, how does the hammer rate there? And as we know, it's sometimes not just a matter of decibels, it's a matter of, of the nature of the noise that the, the machine makes. Um, what's the nature of the noise? How quiet is it? Uh, we've spent a lot of time uh, trying to reduce the amount of noise that it's putting out and we're using a special belt. Um, there's a, a belt drive in the internals and we're using a special belt and then tooth profile on our big gear um, to really, really reduce the noise. And I think you'll find that we're coming in at or uh, near the quietest uh, direct drive system out there. Now, if somebody had said even to you two years ago that there would be ferocious competition in a sector of the market where people were spending over a thousand dollars on what used to be called a turbo trainer or what would you have said um yeah that's a great question it's it's really interesting i think the the software is really driving the popularity of uh, having trainers that are now connected um, and then all of those points that you mentioned before, so accuracy of power measurement, um, you know, that real ride feel uh, are all extremely important and that is, makes the, the quality of the trainer uh, a lot higher and then raises price points as well as those features and, and the development. Now, you, you very carefully and very even-handedly said there it's the software that's, that's driving this market. Is it really Zwift that's driving this market? They certainly have the uh, attention of uh, the cycling market right now. Yes, definitely. We we have our own software and, and on the hardware side, which is what we are. Our heart is is you know developing and, and selling um, indoor training hardware. Um, we do dabble in, in the software things, but we don't see Zwift as a competitor there. We see them as uh, as really a, a complementary uh, entity to what we're doing. Um, it's not just the hammer, of course. You've, you've refreshed the range. There's a, 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 a trainer that's a few less dollars, which is also commanding quite a lot of attention. Um, Ray Maker had a lot of good things to say about that when I spoke to him today. Uh, just run us through that one. Uh, so that would be the counterpart, really. We use a lot of the same technology. and. Uh, Sorry, and this, this is called the Magnus, isn't it? The Magnus, correct. We used a lot of the same technology um, from the hammer in the Magnus. Uh, so we took the electromagnetic resistance system from the, the hammer and applied it to a wheel-on uh, trainer. So this is competing really with the kicker snap and that kind of category? It is, yeah, same price range. Um, basically the same feature set. It's really tough, isn't it? all the way through the market. I mean, at, at the lower end, in the middle range, and at the top end, there are some seriously, seriously good trainers from some very, very good manufacturers. 
is it a tough time to be in this market or is it an exciting time to be in this market? Uh, it's an exciting time to be in this market. I mean, competition is what drives us to, to make better, better products. Um, and really, in the end, the customer is the one that wins. Thanks very much for your time. Thank you. Now, again, the focus of that interview was the range topping trainer. And I know that can make some people cross given its price. But a bit like Jura Ace and Ultegra, the tech from the top end can trickle down to the mid-range options. So it was useful to hear what's inside the hammer. I'll also try to get hold of a Magnus to do some riding and testing. The noise you can hear in, uh, in the background possibly is a plane flying over with a banner. We're actually at the... Um, uh, the, the headquarters really of where airships were developed and built in Germany and we've been already buzzed by a couple of airships today and the guys tell me they've been a, uh, a frequent site here at uh, Eurobike. So um, probably time to wrap up with Ray and Shane in this particular segment with, with this question really uh, uh, to, to both of them. What single thing has most impressed you in the indoor space at Eurobike over the past couple of days and you get least thinking time Shane? Yeah, what has most impressed me? Look, okay, what, my, what has most impressed me is the attention this space is now getting. Not a pro, I won't say a product or anything like that, but everybody is now looking at what's happening and it's, it's a platform to demonstrate, I think, um, I think the only thing indoor cycling can't really help promote is helmets, bike helmets, but everything else is the same. So there's a lot of attention around this space. It's kit, it's even gloves, people riding gloves for comfort, shoes, um, so even ceramic bearings I've seen ceramic bearings being demonstrated on it just make everything makes sense so just the attention this space has been given is quite exciting to see and I mean this is in the last 12 months really really ramped up I'll come hopefully come back in the next 12 months I can't wait to see what's going to be around the corner good answer what single thing um, product or, or, or just general vibe has impressed you the most Ray in this in this area yeah, I'd agree that you know indoor training in general, seeing that exploding is, is definitely uh, pretty big. I think a product standpoint, um, I'd probably have to go with the the flux is is definitely up there in terms of being impressive. Not necessarily from a pure technical standpoint, but more from a a price to feature valuation type standpoint is is impressive to see them hit that. You know, it's something that they could have released at. Uh, an extra 200 bucks more and, and probably still sold it just fine. Um, so to me, that's probably the most impressive thing. Really interesting. Um, I know people will want to know this, Ray. So um, it's eagerly awaited. It's always a sign of autumn. And that is the DC Rainmaker trainer recommendation extravaganza. When's that going to get up on the site? You know, I'm not sure. So I, I've kind of got two trains of thought here on this, and I'm kind of interested to hear people's opinion. Is one, I'm tempted to do a bit of a like level set of where we are in trainers next week, and just doing kind of a here's a roundup of what's out there. Um, but here's a challenge I have, which is that I don't have final units of Hammer, of Magnus, of Flux, of Kinetic. Of you know, there's a lot of options out there, and I really like to before I do that trainer review have at least ridden once on all. All those trainers on a final production unit um, or something closer to what some of those are today you know we talked to flux is it's a 3d printed um, exterior case right now it's you know theoretically the same internals inside but a lot of can change in two months and same with the hammer and others and so i'm kind of tempted to almost do a level set sort of here we are next week and then revisit things in early october once uh once i've got all those units in um, but uh, again that's kind of my thinking right now 
Sounds pretty sensible. And whatever goes up on the blog, I know it will be extremely well read and highly recommended and much shared. Uh, and now, Shane, um, one of the downsides of Eurobike has been criminally slow upload times, which means that, that for sure Ray's not been able to update his blog. He's got tons of stuff waiting to be published. I know you're the same with video. So what have you got that people are going to see and actually probably will be able to watch by the time the podcast is published? Look, I'm hoping to get it up in a few days, but I've got a lot of footage of just simply walking through the front door and showing people what the Eurobike experience is about. This is very, very large, uh, 1,300 plus exhibitors. There's a lot to cover. It takes me about or oh, two hours or so to walk through the main sections and probably two or three days to see everybody. So I've got a lot of footage of that and just general observations. Great. Well, I'm, I'm sure, uh, again, there'll be a, a, a big audience for uh, Shane's YouTube channel catching up on all that stuff. Uh, finally, Ray, do you enjoy Eurobike? I do. I do in a weird way. Like I, um, Eurobike is incredibly stressful for me. Uh, there is. It's, I bet you get stopped a lot. I get stopped a lot. Uh, it's not very efficient. It's the most inefficient thing I could possibly do in three days. Um, it's <laughs> it's funny. So people, I think, don't realize that actually. So it's one of those things that uh, don't not, don't not stop me. I guess you know, feel free to say hi. Um, but you know, you kind of sit there and you go, where does all the time go? And, and it's uh, like I've got I think ten companies I have to visit before I drive out of here today. Um, and I don't have any meetings with anyone on purpose. I don't. I actually avoid scheduling meetings because I find them incredibly inefficient. Um, because I could schedule one on one half of that I lose so much time back and forth and stopping along the way to see people is something that before you know it it's an operation that should have taken four minutes has taken me 45 minutes um, so Eurobike is super stressful because I've got that I'm trying to get post published and then this week was a nightmare with Wi-Fi um, download speed was fine but upload is really tough I can get out you know like two or three picture type posts but that's not who I am that's not what I do and so it's tough you sit there and you're kind of like competing if you will against other media and they're like oh we got our, our post up I'm like well yeah you copied your press release and put a picture in there and that's not what I do and so you're sitting there and I've got I've got like a super detailed post on the new stages by computer I've got a super detailed I've got a full in-depth review on the Garmin Verb action camera that just came out um, but you know it's, it's an action camera so I can't like put a post up and not include all this video and that's that's what it's about uh, and so to me that's those are the things that stress me out and then it's just you know you, you walk in every day and I write until three four in the morning and come back the next day and do the same thing so I love Eurobike um, I am just really horrible executing it in a non-stressful way <laughs> <laughs> Shane I know you're off to ride the the Stelvio when when you leave here but have you enjoyed your time at Eurobike it's been amazing real eye-opener totally different than what I've seen before um, and yeah, to be here with the people who actually make the decisions. In Australia, there's a lot of, they ship boxes out there and there's a sales guy, that's about it. But to actually meet the CEOs of companies and the people who make decisions and actually get feedback for them and be, to be recognised, I guess, in this space as well. It's been really great. So uh, looking forward to working with them in the future as well. And uh, the scale of this place is just mind-boggling. I mean, it is absolutely enormous. Absolutely anybody who is anybody in the bike industry is here. And the great thing about it is that there are business-only days, but it's also open to the public over the weekend. And uh, if anybody is able to get to your bike, it's uh, it's an experience, uh, let's say that. Um, one of the most interesting things, of course, to Zwifters is just how incredibly vibrant and innovative the indoor training space is and that's definitely been reflected 
here at Eurobike and I hope we've been able to reflect it in this special episode of the podcast. Thanks for listening, guys. Thanks particularly to Ray for making uh, so much time and being so generous with his time in not replacing Nathan, nothing could replace Nathan, but at least being an American voice uh, and an extremely well-informed one on the Zwiftcast and so great to meet uh, the Llama in the flesh. Thanks very much, guys. Cheers. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. And that, Zwifters, is that. The first time the Zwiftcast has been out on location, which required a bit of upskilling for yours truly. Hope you enjoyed it. I actually have more Eurobike goodness. It's a little less topical than the stuff in this episode, and I'm going to be saving it and using it in upcoming episodes. As ever, a word of thanks to Zwift for their support of the podcast. It's very generous, but a reminder that it doesn't influence or change a word of what's said. <laughs>